in 2013, about, I was working for the Academy of Science of South Africa, and there I was um, definitely responsible for the gender in science and technology work that the Academy was undertaking. And the Academy had um, put together a conference, a, a global conference, that was looking at non-communicable diseases, and we had a whole lot of academies that were in South Africa. It was at the sidelines of this meeting that I realized that um, the discussions around gender and health, for example, in that meeting were not necessarily mainstreamed into the program, but they were discussions that were being part of um, the conversations around what um, decision makers needed to do um, to support increased um, gender dimension in health. So I had a light bulb moment, actually, and then had various discussions at that meeting that it was important for us to understand what the composition of academies were, if academies are so important in shaping the way that policymakers and decision makers are thinking through anything that is a policy issue in science and technology. And... I always knew anecdotally that the numbers of women who were part of academies of science as members and who are participating in activities of academies of science and in their governance uh, bodies was low, but evidence was important so that we can be able to, first of all, raise awareness and Second of all, we can actually be able to understand what the situation was. It's based on this that um, the Academy of Science of South Africa then um, gave the go-ahead for us to start thinking through the step of a project, and um, eventually we did it together with other colleagues. So that's the story of how it came across. It started off as a sideline discussion, and now it's become mainstream, which I am very proud of. Can you tell me how your study was conducted? So what we did is that um, we we um, looked at academies of science and national science academies that were members of the Global Network of Academies. Um, it has 100 at that point in time, had 103 academies. And we thought that that was a good pool from which we could um, undertake the study. And then um, what we asked them, the academies, is to really give us um, details that were related to the composition of their membership, so what the total membership was and then what the membership of women was, how their governance bodies were structured in relation to the numbers or to, to representation, and whether the academies had um, any formalized way of giving advice on gender and diversity. There were so the, the Latin American team, Latin America, North America, and Caribbean team, all belonged to one of the regional uh, networks of academies, ENS, which is the Inter-American National Network of uh, Academies of Science, sorry, and they, could, they helped us incredibly to collect the data of that region. 
and um, we worked together with also the Organization of Women in Science for the Developing World to get the, the data to us. In the end, out of the 103 academies, 65 academies were able to respond to us, but the 65, so let me rather say 69 academies, did um, report to us. The Swiss National Academies of Science are comprised of four different academies. So that's where you get the, the difference between the 65 and the 69. But we looked at um, the Swiss academies as four, not just one, that is representing a country. Does that help? Ms. Nkila, can you tell me, now, now that you conducted the study, what were the findings? So the findings were very congruent to uh, what we already had understood um, about just general research around women's representation in science and technology globally. We know that the numbers are low when it comes to the natural sciences, the physical sciences, engineering, and we know that the numbers tend to be higher, but not actually that significantly higher when when you look at the representation of women in the social sciences, arts, and humanities. So across the 69 academies of science that we surveyed, 12% only is the average of membership that comprises women. It's a very low number. In the social sciences, it is about 20%. So if you think about this, of all the members that we surveyed, 20% of all the academy representation that were female were more likely to be from the social sciences as in the humanities, and 10% of that group were likely to be from the natural sciences and engineering. We also discovered or um, can, through our analysis, found that the largest share of female representation or women's representation in academies is in Latin America. So that hovers around 17%. And that generally, academies of science have got a higher representation in their governing bodies than they do in their membership. Why is women representation um, so low? So women's representation is low for a variety of reasons. Let me start from there. Um, we see from literature, and we know from evidence that is both anecdotal and evidence-based, that um, there are multiplicity of reasons why women's representation in science and technology generally is low. So you have the issues around um, the number of girls that participate in STEM subjects um, across the school system. There is this for example, perception that girls should not or are not good at STEM subjects and rather boys are better. And so the societal perceptions around who is a better fit to be a scientist doesn't necessarily encourage girls to take up that subject. When you look at girls' um, participation in in, in, in higher education, generally, there's actually parity. So girls and boys are more likely to be 
performing at the same level by the time they finish high school. They get into university and both of them start well in terms of their numbers across the different fields of science. However, the higher you go in the chain, the less you find the girls. And there are a number of reasons. So first of all is that we've got to think about the lack of the or the limitation of the support mechanisms to support girls that so that they can be able to increase um, their participation. So mentoring the opportunities themselves, um, role models, very important. And then when you get to an academic career in science, you start thinking about issues around work-life balance and the limited support mechanisms that generally women faculty may find themselves not having. Um, and also discrimination promotion practices, um, an environment that allows for unconscious bias in promotion uh, practices, for example. And as we go on in the discussion, you will see that by the time you get to the level where you are a top scientist that could then be eligible for election into membership, the numbers already have, are very low because we have to take still from the national system that is producing these women. And so it is expected that if the numbers from the bottom that are supposed to feed to feed the pipeline so that we have an increased number of women who are members of academies, it is expected that you would have lower numbers. But with academies themselves, so there are questions about when you do the election of your members into the academy, are you looking at the whole body of work as your point of reference as to whether the person is eligible for election or whether they are good enough to be a member of the academy, or are you looking at it from their sense of productivity regardless of when that happens? And many academies of science tend to look at the whole body of, 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 um, of evidence or body of work that a scientist has contributed across their scientific life. You would know that for many women who, for example, choose to have families, they will take a gap. And so you can have up to six or seven years of relative inactivity in the scientific work, but increased activity in the family life of a specific scientist. And that usually can be looked at as a gap that renders that person almost ineligible to be elected at an academy or they would not look at that positively. And so there's a multiplicity of, mm. of, of reasons why you continue to have or to continue to see this perpetuated um, birth of numbers of women who are getting into a leadership positions because being a member of an academy of science is really a very prestigious um, accomplishment in any scientist's um, life. And I understand very well where you're coming from because I just I just 
did a feature on women in science and just looking at it from a local level, it's a problem. I, I interviewed a, a professor for, of chemistry from um, Vitz and she was saying, look, they gave out chairs and like three of them were given to women. Mm-hmm. She also went to UJ, spoke to a paleoanthropologist and, and she's saying that it was 10 of us in the meeting and I was the only woman and the only t- they asked all the guys for their opinion and when it came to me, you know, they asked me to, to, to go make tea. So I see that, you know, there's a lot of yeah. struggles that, 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 that women, you know, are facing. And also what you've also just said that, you know, the whole balancing act. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is that I think what, for me, the significant thing around the challenges, especially when it comes to work-life balance, is that society has managed to convince us not to look at families in science or families as a holistic whole group that needs to be supported and rather look at the woman because the woman generally would be the one that bears children. And so in science, this is really problematic because um, instead of putting the right mechanisms to support holistic families, we are still also just focused on supporting the woman supporting the woman, and we don't think about the fact that this woman will have a partner or will be raising children with somebody else, and how are we supporting the males, the young scientists who are male, to be able to support their partners as well, to be holistic. So, so we need to think about this in a very holistic way, not in the siloed way that we've been thinking about it. Because the more we continue to think about it in a siloed way, the more we perpetuate the problem. So it doesn't help that for me as a woman, I get nine months maternity leave, but my partner only has five days. That's not what we want. We want to be able to support holistic families. Um, but that might be a conversation for another day. Yes, no, yes, yeah. it is. Um, I don't know if you yourself did a like did a bit of trends as to compare like certain countries, and did you do any comparisons uh, trends? Yes, we definitely did. So it's interesting for me. It is very, very interesting to see how well the Latin American, Caribbean, and the North American countries are doing. If you think about Latin America and you think about Asia and Africa as the developing world, and you think about how well they did in this report, that was quite an interesting trend for me. And the only way that I can explain that they're doing so well, I mean, it's only 17%, so it's not really, really that well, but they, they are leading the pack definitely in thinking about this, is because the IANAS Academies of Science, so the Inter-American Network of uh, Academies of Science, has very specific portfolio that looks at gender representation and gender activities within all of the academies. And each specific academy that belongs to that network of academies of science is required to have a gender focal point that is responsible for this particular action within the academies. So because there is such, there is such a, a lens that is looked at from a national perspective, from a regional perspective, you can see that positive peer pressure has definitely led to an increase in these numbers. When you look at it from a 
an African perspective, for example. Our academy in South Africa has got, the, it's actually in the top 10 of all academies in the world as having the highest, having higher numbers of women who are represented at 24%. It is only followed by Uganda, which is 13%, Ghana and Cameroon, which have 11%. Everybody else is really below 10% of the 10 academies that we looked at on the African continent. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is, why does this happen for South Africa? And it happens because... Remember, academies of science do not live in isolation of the national system of innovation and national political system that they find themselves in. So in South Africa, we've got really good policies that we have put in place that are supporting this from a, just a national level. And so any organization that is especially a public organization in the, in the, in the country has to always be thinking about the issues of transformation, the issues of gender, race, diversity, ETC. And I think this particular pressure that comes from policies really does help us to think through these things. However, you know, we can never take the issue of gender, race, and other kinds of uh, variables out. We can never think about them in isolation. But if you go back and you look at who is the 24% of the membership of ASAF, you will definitely note that it is a higher percentage of white women. So the question we have to ask ourselves is why? And then the other trend that I think I must mention um, before you come in is the representation in relation to disciplines. So the biological sciences, and this is also congruent with research that we've seen, have the highest number of representation of women in academies of science. Engineering computer sciences, mathematical sciences, really have the lowest number. And so there are pockets where you definitely think that there is specific intervention that is required so that we can increase the numbers. But it also feeds very much to the data that we currently have around representation of women as a share of researchers in the biological sciences all the way to end. I was going to ask you a question. Now we have to look at the men on this. How is this research going to help society? Academies of science are so important where they function efficiently and effectively in shaping policy decisions. I'll give you an example. ASAF was so instrumental in putting together a study of the National Research Foundation around how we are producing PhDs in South Africa with very specific recommendations about what that production level looks like so that we can be able to get to um, attain the goals that we have in our national development plan. For the man on the street, for the child that has finished university at Vendor, and they want to go and do their PhD because the PhD is a passion, because it is an academic career that they want to follow, because the PhD is important for them to get to the next level of their career so that they can be able to put food on the table. For that person, what this information does is to bring out an important aspect, is to say because academies are so important in shaping how policies are made, 
the voice, the voice of women, the voice of black people, the voice of representation in a way that they shape these decisions that have to be made, in a way that those reports are written, in a way that those reports are packaged, in the way that those reports are presented to government. The voice of the minority has to be heard, because if it is not heard, then it means that we are making policy decisions that are only relevant for a specific group of society. We are not making policy decisions that are holistic for all of us. So for the man on the street, this, this study is important because it helps us to start a conversation about the role of representation in the policy activities of academies of science which are made up of members so that when government makes the decision and it starts being implemented, the voice will always be there for